part one chapters eight and nine of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain eight after the dinner the carriage which took hannah home also took miss macpherson to the door of her dwelling a large old-fashioned new england house with a wide hall through the centre and a square room on either side one the drawing-room or parlour in which the mass of furniture had not been changed during the twenty years and more that miss betsy had lived there the other the living-room where the lady sat and ate and received her friends and where now a bright fire was burning in the franklin stove and the kettle was singing upon the hob while a little round swiss table was standing on the persian rug before the fire and on it the delicate cup and saucer and sugar-bowl and creamer which miss macpherson had herself bought at sevres years ago when the life she looked forward to was very different from what had actually come to her possibly the memory of the day when she walked through those brilliant rooms at sevres and bought her costly wares softened a little her somewhat harsh uncompromising nature for there was a very womanly expression on her usually severe face as she sipped her favour too long and gazed dreamily into the fire where she seemed to again see the sweet face of the child who had talked to her on the shores of cardigan bay and whose innocent prattle had by turns amused and interested and enraged her and as she gazed she thought yes gray was right why didn't i take the little thing in my arms and bring her home with me to think of her being hungry when there is enough wasted in this house every day to feed her and why did i so far forget myself as to talk as i did to-day i who am usually so silent with regard to my affairs why need i have told them that archie's wife was a trollop i suppose the venom is still rankling in me for the name she called me old sauerkraut and miss betsy smiled grimly as she remembered all the child upon the terrace had said to her that summer morning three years ago she is truthful at all events she continued and i like that and i wish i had her here she would be a comfort to me now that i am old and the house has no young life in it except my cats there's the bedroom at the end of the hall opening from my room she could have that and i should be so happy fitting it up for her i'd trim it with blue and have hangings at the bed and here she stopped seized with a sudden inspiration and summoning the housemaid flora to her she said remove the things and bring my writing-desk flora obeyed and her mistress was soon deep in the construction of a letter to archibald macpherson to whom she made the proposition that he should bring his daughter betsy to her or if he did not care to cross the ocean himself that he place her under the charge of some reliable person who was coming to america and who would see her safely to allington or that failing she did not know but she would come herself for the child so anxious was she to have her i shall not try to conceal from you that i have seen her you know that by the result i did see her on the terrace and saw your wife too and i liked the child and want her for my own to train as i please and to bring up to some useful occupation so that if necessary she can earn her own living there has been too much false pride in our family on account of birth and blood the idea that because you are born a gentleman or lady you must not work is absurd would it not be more honourable to sweep the streets or scour knives and pare potatoes than to sponge one's living out of strangers who despise you in their hearts even when inviting you to their houses we have men and women too in america who do not work but get their living from others and we call them tramps and have them arrested as vagrants but that is neither here nor there i want you to give little betsy to me and she at least will never regret it but don't let the hope of a fortune influence you for my will was made years ago and not a macpherson is remembered in it 
still if betsy pleases me i may add a codicil and give her a few thousands but don't count upon it or my death either we are a long-lived race and i am perfectly strong and well so if you let me have her do it because you think it will be better for her morally and spiritually to be removed from the poisonous atmosphere which surrounds her i liked her face i liked her voice i liked her frankness i shall like her so send her and i will bear the expense or write and say you can't and that will close the book your aunt miss betsy macpherson allington massachusetts p s i shall direct this to the old home in wales though i have no idea you are there as i hear your wife prefers to be travelling the letter finished and directed miss betsy sat a long time gazing dreamily into the fire and thinking of the past the present and the possible future when a bright-haired child might be sitting there by her side and making her life less lonely and aimless than it was now meanwhile the party at gray's park had gathered around the fire in the drawing-room and geraldine was repeating to her sister the particulars of her presentation to the queen shivering occasionally as she heard the sleet and snow beating against the window for with the going down of the sun the storm had commenced again with redoubled fury and the wind howled dismally as it swept past the corners of the house bearing with it blinding sheets of snow and rain and sounding sometimes like human sobbing as it died away in the distance is there some one crying outside or is it the wind mr gerald asked as the sobbing seemed like a wail of anguish while there crept over him one of those indefinable presentiments which we have all felt at times and could not explain a presentiment in his case of coming evil whose shadow was already upon him it is the wind gray said what an awful storm for thanksgiving night and rising he walked to the window just as outside there was a sound of a fast-coming vehicle which stopped at the side piazza a few moments later the door of the drawing-room opened and a servant appeared with a note which she handed to mr gerald saying sam Powley brought this from your sister he says your father is very bad mr gerald was not greatly surprised it seemed to him he had expected this for the sobbing of the wind had sounded to him like his father's voice calling to him in the storm taking the note from the girl he tore it open and read dear brother on my return home i found our father much worse indeed i have never seen him so bad and he insists upon your coming to him to-night so i have sent sam for you with instructions to call on his return for our clergyman mr sandford as he wishes particularly to see him come at once and come alone hannah the words come alone were underscored and burton felt intuitively that the secret he had long suspected and which had shadowed his father's life was at last coming to him unsought he was sure of it and knew why hannah had written come alone it meant that gray must not come with him and when the boy who had stood beside him and read the note with him exclaimed grandpa is worse he is going to die let us go at once he said very decidedly no my son not to-night to-morrow you shall go and stay all day but not to-night in this storm very unwillingly gray yielded and saw his father depart without him how is my father how does he seem mr gerald asked of the boy sam who replied i don't know i have not seen him he would not even let me in this afternoon when miss hannah was gone he locked the door and i heard him working at something on the floor by his bed as if trying to tear up the plank he was there when miss hannah came home and found him i guess he is pretty crazy but here we are at the minister's i was to stop for him you know you will have to hold the horse i shan't be long 
and reining up the gate of the rectory sam plunged into the snow and wading to the door gave a tremendous peal upon the brass knocker the reverend mr sandford who had for many years been rector of the little church in allington was taking his evening tea with his better half mrs martha sandford a little plump red-faced woman with light grey eyes and yellow hair who ruled her husband with a rod of iron and would have ruled his parish if they had not rebelled against her with all her faults however she took excellent care of her lord and master and looked after his health as carefully as she did after his household interests and on this particular night because he had complained of a slight hoarseness to which he was subject she had at once enveloped his throat with folds of red flannel under which was a slice of salt pork her favourite remedy for all troubles of a bronchial nature and in his warmly wadded dressing-gown and padded slippers the reverend man sat enjoying his tea and crisp slices of toast which mrs martha prepared for him herself when the sound of the brass knocker startled them both and made mrs martha start so suddenly that the slice of bread she was toasting dropped from the fork upon the hot coals where it was soon reduced to ashes who can be pounding like that on such a night as this she asked as she hastened to open the hall door which admitted such a gust of wind that she came near shutting it in sam's face but the boy managed to crowd into the hall and shaking a whole snowbank of snow from his cap and coat he began if you please ma'am old mr gerald is very bad indeed and miss hannah wants the minister to come right off mr burton gerald is out in the sleigh waiting for him and says he must hurry mr sandford go out such a night as this it's impossible he is half sick now what does old mr gerald want mrs sandford said sharply and sam replied as he shook down another mass of snow upon the carpet don't know the sacrament mebby as i guess he's going to die and the boy advanced a step or two into the warmly lighted room where the rector who had risen to his feet was beginning to divest himself of his dressing-gown stay back you have brought snow enough into the hall without spoiling the parlour carpet too mrs martha said angrily then going to her husband whose purpose she divined she continued charles are you crazy to think of going out in this storm but my dear the rector began meekly if the poor old man is dying and hannah would never have sent in such a storm unless she thought so if he is dying and desires the comfort of the communion shall i refuse it to him because of a little inconvenience to myself no no i have not so learned christ please bring me my coat martha and my boots and the little communion service a pretty time of day to think of that just as the candle is burned to the snuff mrs martha retorted here for years you have exhorted and entreated him to be confirmed and he has resisted all your appeals with the excuse that for him to go to the lord's table would be a mortal sin and now just at the last in such a storm he sends for you i consider it an insult to his creator and to you too will you please bring my coat and boot and things i can never quite find them myself was all the rector said and knowing that further opposition was useless mrs martha went in quest of the boots and overshoes and coat and overcoat and muffler and fur cap and mittens and heavy shawl in which she enveloped her husband lamenting that there was not ready a hot soap stone for his feet which were sure to suffer but the little man did not need the soapstone he had the warmest kindest most unselfish heart that ever beat in a human breast and never thought of the storm as he waded through the deep snow and took his seat beside burton gerald in the sleigh which sam drove rapidly toward the farmhouse in the pasture nine 
the horror at the farmhouse when hannah reached home the grey november afternoon was already merging into the dark night which was made still darker by the violence of the increasing storm and never had hannah's home seemed so desolate and dreary as it did when the sleigh turned from the highway into the cross-road which led to it and she saw through the gathering gloom the low snow-covered roof and the windows from which no welcoming light was shining it had been so bright and cheerful and warm in the drawing-room at grace park and here all was cold and cheerless and dark as she went into the house with a vague presentiment of the horror awaiting her entering through the woodshed she stumbled upon sam who was sitting on a pile of wood and who said to her i guess your father is mighty bad i didn't go near him till i heard him groaning and praying and taking on so that i opened the door and asked if he wanted anything then he jumped out of bed and told me to be gone spying on him and he locked the door on me and i heard him as if he was under the bed trying to tear up the floor and i ran out here for i was afraid under the bed hannah repeated while a cold sweat oozed from every pore he must be crazy but do not come with me to his room it would make him worse i can manage him alone but please make a fire in the summer kitchen and stay there this evening father seems to know when any one is in the next room and it troubles him yes'm the boy replied thinking it a very strange freak that the old man would allow no one with him except his daughter but sam was neither quick nor suspicious and glad of any change from the cold woodshed he started to kindle a fire in the room adjoining which in summer was used for a kitchen while hannah lighting a candle hastened to the door of her father's room which she found locked while from within she heard laboured breathing and a sound like tugging at a board which evidently offered resistance father she cried in terror let me in it is i hannah and sam is in the woodshed after a moment the key was turned and hannah stepped inside locking the door after her in the middle of the floor her father stood with his long white hair falling around his corpse-like face and his eyes bright with the excitement of delirium the bed was moved toward the centre of the room and in the farthest corner a board of the floor had been partially removed what are you doing hannah asked advancing quickly to her father oh hannah the old man said whimperingly i did so want to be sure that it was there i dreamed it was gone that it had never been there and it was so real i wanted to see i thought i'd get done before you came but it was so hard i cannot get the boards up but you can do it go down on your knees and take the floor up just this once i'll never ask it again it was thirty-one years ago to-night and when it is thirty-two i shall be dead go down hannah i want to know if it is there still the horror i have slept over every night for thirty-one long years no father hannah answered firmly ask me anything but that be satisfied that it is there who should take it away when no one knows but ourselves get into bed father you are shivering with cold like a conquered child the old man obeyed her and crept into bed while she drew the blankets around him and then stooping down in the dark corner she drove the loosened board to its place shuddering as she did so and experiencing a feeling of terror such as she had not felt before in years pushing the bed back to its usual position she sat down by her father and tried to quiet him for he was strangely restless and talked of things which made the blood curdle in her veins hark he exclaimed as a gust of wind went shrieking past the window what was that hannah that sound like a human cry 
it was only the wind a wild storm is sweeping over the hills to-night she said as she drew a little nearer to him and took his hand in hers as if to give herself courage for she too fancied there was in the wailing wind the echo of a cry she could never forget yes the old man replied just such a storm as shook the house thirty-one years ago to-night and above it all i hear rovers howl and the awful word you shouted aloud and which the winds caught up and carried everywhere so that the world is full of it do you remember it hannah did she remember it ask rather could she ever forget the awful word which it seemed to her was written on the very walls and doors of the house and on her forehead where all the world might see it ask her if she remembered when even now after the lapse of thirty-one years she could hear so distinctly the shriek of despair which as her father had said the winds had caught up and carried over the hills and far away where it was still repeating itself over and over again and would go on for ever until reparation were made if that were possible now it was always ringing in her ears just as the stains were on her hands where she felt them as she clasped her long thin fingers convulsively and wondered if she were going mad her father was very quiet now he was falling asleep and sinking on her knees beside the bed the wretched woman moaned piteously oh my father in heaven how long must i bear this burden which to-night presses so heavily help me help me for i am so weak and sad thou knowest i was innocent and i have tried so hard to do right if i have failed if i ought to have spoken in spite of the vow forgive me for if my sin is great great too has been my punishment i cannot stay here she thought as she rose from her knees the room is full of phantoms which gibber at me from the dark corners and shout the word in my ears as i shouted it that awful night when rover kept me company poor old rover lying under the snow if he were only here i should not be quite so desolate i believe that for the first time in my life i am a coward and shaking with cold or fear or both hannah left her father's room and went into the kitchen where sam was stuffing the stove with wood the moment she appeared however he withdrew the stick he was crowding in and began to close some of the draughts but she said to him don't do that sam let it burn put on more i am very cold and light a candle sam three candles it is so dark here and the wind howls so does it say anything to you sam any word i mean sam had no idea what she meant nor indeed did he think if she meant anything for his wits came slowly people called him stupid and this was his greatest recommendation to hannah who could not have had a bright quick-seeing boy in her household sam suited her and his answer to her question was characteristic of him no i don't hear nothin it says only it screams like a panther in a fit and sam deliberately lighted the three candles and placed them on the table while hannah drew a hard wooden chair to the stove and putting her feet upon the hearth clasped her hands around her knees and sat there till she was thoroughly warm and her nerves were quieted she was not afraid now and taking one of the candles she went to her father's room and found him sleeping with a calm peaceful expression on his face and another look too which made her heart stand still a moment for she felt intuitively that the black shadow of death had crept into the room suddenly he awoke and seeing her standing by him smiled lovingly upon her and said is that you hannah faithful always but your work is almost done i am going home very soon to the dear saviour i am sure of it i know it my sins are washed away in his blood 
even the stains upon my hands which are clean and white now as were grazed the day he caught and held me so fast may god bless the boy and make him a good man and a comfort to you my child who have been so much to me the best most unselfish of daughters and something tells me you will be happy when i am gone i hope so i pray so and now hannah send for burton i shall not be here in the morning and i must see him once more and send for mr sandford too i must see him before i die burton and the minister no one else not even the boy gray he must not come for hannah i am going to tell what father hannah gasped and he replied i am going at last to confess the whole to my son and the clergyman i must do it i shall die easier but father hannah cried in alarm reflect a moment what possible good could it do to tell mr sandford or even burton it would only give him unnecessary pain you have kept it so long why not let the grave bury your secret because i cannot the old man answered i must tell burton i have always intended to do it at the last so that he might know what you have borne perhaps he may be kinder gentler with you burton stands well with men high in the world but he is not like you he would never have done what you have and i want him to know that there is a sacrifice which ennobles one more than all the honours of the world and i want mr sandford to know why i could not go forward and ratify my baptismal vows as he has so often urged me to do thinking me obstinate in my refusal and i wish to hear him say that he believes i am forgiven that christ will receive me even me a oh hannah i cannot say that word i cannot give myself that name i never have you know it was so sudden so without forethought and could i live my life over again i think i should tell at once and not bury the secret as i did but hurry hannah send sam i have but a few hours to live tell them to come quickly burton and the minister not gray so hannah wrote the note to her brother and gave it to sam who in a most unwilling frame of mind harnessed the horse and started in the storm for gray's park meanwhile in anticipation of the coming of the guests hannah put her father's room a little more to rights lighted another candle put more wood in the stove and then sat down to wait the result with a heart which it seemed to her had ceased to beat so pulseless and dead it lay in her bosom she had no fear of anything personally adverse to herself or her father arising from the telling of the secret kept so many years it would be safe with mr sandford while her proud brother would die a thousand deaths sooner than reveal it but oh how cruelly he would be hurt and how he would shrink from the story and blame her that she allowed it to be told especially to the clergyman and she might perhaps prevent that yet so she made another effort but her father was determined i must i must i shall die easier and he will never tell we have known him so long twenty-five years he has been here and he took to us from the first do you remember how often he used to come and read to you on the bench under the apple-tree yes father hannah answered with a gasp and he went on 
seeing you two together so much i used to think he had a liking for you and you for him did you hannah were you and the minister ever engaged no father never hannah replied as she pressed her hands tightly together while two great burning tears rolled down her cheeks and yet you were a comely enough lass then her father rejoined as if bent on tormenting her you had lost your bright colour to be sure but there was something very winsome in your face and eyes and manner and he might better have married you than the sharp-eyed sharp-tongued fussy martha Craig, who like the martha of old is troubled about many things and leads the minister a stirred-up kind of life mrs sandford is a model housekeeper and takes good care of her husband hannah said softly and then as she heard the sound of voices outside she arose quickly and went to meet her brother and the man who her father had said would better have married her than the sharp-eyed sharp-tongued martha End of chapters eight and nine